0: Good morning, Fellowship. Thank you for that. (laughs) My name is Wendy Hall, and the Lord graciously brought me here to Fellowship 23 years ago. And this place is really special to me because this is where I met my husband, Brandon. And we have two boys. They are 16 and 18. And the Lord brought me here to work with student ministries, and now I am on the elementary team. So it is a pleasure for me to serve alongside many of you families. So this morning, if you wanna pull out your phones, you can check out this QR code. And if you are home, feel free to zoom into that. That will give you all the information that we're gonna talk about this morning. So um, May 9th is Mother's Day. If you didn't know that, now you know. And it's also the Parent Child Dedication Day. There are a few spots available for you to sign up, but the deadline is coming soon. Those spots are only at the eight o'clock service, and you need to do that before April 19th. Okay, hey, if you'll notice, we're still wearing our mask, and we thank you for that. We wanna do our due diligence to love our neighbors and protect one another, and Rogers still has a mask mandate, and so we wanna honor that. This morning, we have something really awesome to celebrate. Hannah Holmberg is a third grader, and she has decided she wants to get baptized. And this is one of my most favorite things that I get to do is getting to talk with um, kids that want to make that public um, symbol that they have decided to follow Jesus all their days. And so it is a privilege for me to introduce to you Hannah Holmberg and her dad, Brian.
1: Good morning, fellowship. My name is Brian Holmberg. You Okay. And this is my sweet Hannah Holmberg, and I wanted to uh, just tell you how proud of her I am, for one thing. So excited that several years ago, uh, Hannah asked Jesus into her heart, and I was able to be there and pray with her for that, and that was a huge blessing that the Lord allowed me, and now I get to come before you again, and in this time, Hannah has asked and decided to uh, be baptized, and so... So proud of her. She faithfully loves Jesus and is so kind. I just love your tender heart. So, Hannah, tell me something. You've been walking with Jesus for several years, so would you say that you have asked Jesus into your heart? Yes. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. And is it your commitment to walk with Jesus from now until? Yes. Yes. I know it is. I love you so much. So how about if you sit right there, and we're going to see if we can do this without both of us getting soaked. Yeah, why don't you sit right there? All right, Hannah, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised up to walk in new life.
0: Woo!
2: As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear, where you lost your life so I could find it. If you left the grave behind you, so will I, I can see your heart. So surrender, so alive. I can see your heart a billion different ways. Every precious is a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them so.
3: to a God who is worthy, his name is Jesus, and he calls us to build our life upon his, to live a life like his. Well, we just posture ourselves to sing to him this morning. He's so worthy. Let's sing about it.
2: worthy. 'Cause mm-hmm.
3: would you begin to speak to our souls? Would your spirit begin to move inside of us? Lord, as we begin to hear from your holy word. Father, give us the strength to trust that you are enough. Father, give us the eyes and ears to see and hear that you are drawing us closer and closer to you by the minute. God, we thank you for that. Lord, would you just, again, just... Spirit, speak to our hearts, speak to our souls. We pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus.
4: Amen. You may have a seat. Well, I remember last week, I was sitting right here on the front row, and uh, it was our Easter service, and Mickey reminded us that last year, we didn't have an in-person gathering for Easter, and it just, it caught me off guard. It reminded me of the times we weren't able to gather together in person, and I'm so glad we're able to gather together again. It's been a really hard year for most people. There's been a lot of grief, much grief. Loved ones lost due to the pandemic, or loved ones lost during the pandemic, that that we haven't been able to celebrate their life the way we would have wanted to with gathering Lots of people together. There's been job loss, financial hardship, reunions canceled, graduations postponed. My daughter, Lexi, was a senior at U of A when, when the pandemic hit. And I remember she called us on the phone one afternoon and said, I think I just went to my last in person college class. It's, it's, we're online now. And so she was really devastated. So, graduations canceled, um, postponed. Weddings move virtual. I, felt so, I feel so sorry for the pandemic brides. You're on again, off again wedding. We got invited to a wedding only to it get canceled or postponed. And then it was back on, but one person could come. Then it moved virtual, and I, I felt so sorry. I said, you know, they should all just elope. But then there's nowhere to elope to. There's been job loss, financial hardship, There's been, we've seen incredible division, political division, racial tension, incredibly challenging times. There's been this this culture emerge where people are angry about just about everything and they want to argue about it. I was watching, I was on Facebook, which probably shouldn't have been, but I was on it and I was watching this conversation between two people about this thing. And the conversation went down really fast, downhill, and it, I, I, I was enjoying it way too much. And I was definitely not gonna participate in it. But that's how it's been this year. That the, the relationship has been lost over this. And I've got a lot of opinions about it. I've got so many opinions about it, I argue with myself sometimes. There's been incredible hurt and isolation, but, but there's been some heroes, haven't there? What about our medical workers? I mean, incredible job. Matter of fact, I'd love, if you're a medical worker of any kind, an EMT, a doctor, a nurse, uh, you work at the hospital, or a civil servant too, our fire and police, would you stand and just let us recognize you and say thank you? Our frontline workers, we are so grateful for you. Yes, stand up. You carried us through this. And I tell you, there's one other group of people I've got to recognize because they are heroes. All of us parents really appreciate him after this year, and it's our, our educators, our teachers. And so if you have anything to do with educating our kids, public, private, if you're a teacher, administrator, would you stand up and just let us thank you as well? Yes. We are so grateful for you. When the rest of the country was trying to decide whether they should go back to school or not, we'd been going to school for a long time, hadn't we? We're so, yes, we're so grateful for that. <clears throat> you know, we also had some fellowship heroes. Um, our early childhood ministry here at Fellowship, and you may or may not know this, but what they did during the pandemic was absolutely incredible. When all the daycares were shutting down, when, when, uh, when all the church nurseries were shutting down, we actually pivoted. Um, we talked to the folks at Mercy. The medical workers there were not being able to come to work because their kids had no place to go, and so they pivoted. They learned about PPE. They learned how to clean things, and they turned into a, a daycare devoted especially for medical workers. And here's the cool thing. It was all free, and it was a way for our church to say thank you to your workers. And they, they came over this a couple weeks ago and just said thank you, and we had a big party together, and it was really, really a sweet time. With all the hard stuff happening, there was some actual funny stuff in our family that happened that we were able to laugh about. Here's one. Just during the first of the pandemic, my college freshman son wrote wrote an email to his professor. I can't pronounce the professor's name, but listen to this. Dear Professor so-and-so, I've truly enjoyed your class this semester and feel like I've done fairly well. However, with all the craziness from the coronavirus outbreak that's been going on, I did not get my assignment turned in on time. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to accept it late. I'm truly regretful about this situation and would appreciate some leniency. Sincerely, Jackson Barkley. Now listen to his reply. Jackson, this assignment was due before the craziness started. <laughs> I have given you full credit. Stay healthy. He showed him some grace. We'd also planned a trip to a cabin that was going to be near our, uh, my in-laws, and so, in order to do that, we're going to have a brief time with them. You know, we're trying to travel but be as safe as possible. It's a cabin in the woods. We weren't going to really be around anybody, but we're going to have a brief time with them. I said, Well, if we're going to do that, you know, we've got college students and high school students and middle school students in our family. I said, Everybody's got to get tested. So, everybody got tested. And then all the tests came back negative, except for one that hadn't come back yet. And it's Christmas Eve, and we're packing up. We're getting ready to go. And guess what? That one test comes back for our daughter that's been, that's been quarantined for three weeks because of, you know, exposures at school and stuff. Guess what? She tests positive. And so I said, see you in 10 days. <laughs> and she went into the room. We celebrated Christmas that way. My hope for us is that we continue to be able to have more and more people come back where we can worship God shoulder to shoulder and gather again in small groups, face to face, as much as possible, as soon as possible, as safe as possible. We want to do that as a church because we are the people of God, moved by the Spirit of God, studying the Word of God, and we need to gather together to worship God. So how will we return to normal? You know, I see, I see sports starting to return to normal. I see, I see uh, uh, vacations starting to happen. So my, our challenge this morning is we're going to look at is how are we going to return and spiritually engage to normal or what might the new normal look like? <clears throat> we're starting a, a four-week series today called Pastor's Heart, and so we're letting some of our teachers pass, teaching pastors come up here and just, and just share with you what our passion is. And my passion is you God's people and God's word. And we're going to spend some time this morning looking at the exile, or actually the return from exile. And if this interests you, I encourage you, I saw Nick, I see you out there, I'll give you a plug for the training center. If this interests you, this is actually one of the sections of our Panorama of the Bible class. And we're going to look at the return from exile. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. I will warn you, we're going to be moving fast. And we're going to touch lots of books of the Bible, because I love the word. And we're going to be moving fast, but I think you're going to like the way we get to look at the scriptures. We're going to mainly be in second, the end of 2 Chronicles and the book of Ezra, but we're going to lay some prophets on that as well. Isaiah is going to speak into it. Jeremiah is going to speak into it. We're going to jump into Daniel for just a second, and we're going to move really quick, and I hope you'll be with me. Here's the big idea. God uses his people to accomplish his plans for his purpose over and over and over again. And then I've got a challenge for you before we leave. How's he going to use you post-pandemic? We're going to see four key, key leaders this morning. We're going to see Daniel. God's going to use him. to. He responds with repentance and lays the foundation for restoration for God's people out of the exile. We're going to see Re- Re- Zerubbabel. Try naming your kid that. He wouldn't be able to spell it until he's 10 years old. Zerubbabel, who rebuilds the temple. We're going to see Ezra, who rebuilds the people. And we're going to see Nehemiah, who is responsible for rebuilding the wall. Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, we were in the book of Joshua, weren't we? And Joshua was used by God to to enter the land. And remember, they conquered the land and they possessed the land. so, So God's people were living in the promised land. But then I want you to look at the last verse of the last chapter of Joshua with me. Look at this. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. You see, it's it's Deuteronomy 28 ringing in his ears, I bet. If you obey, blessing. If you disobey, punishment. It's kind of like the parenting lesson, isn't it? God's going to get his obedience no matter what. It's either the easy way or the hard way but guess what happens it goes downhill pretty quick if you look at this timeline with me that that uh, sideways triangle is, is where Joshua was at so we studied the book of Joshua they move into the next section is apostasy that doesn't sound good does it it's the time of the book of judges it's where the sin cycle is introduced if you've been through panorama and then the, the next section is the kingship united where God gives the people some kings that they, they wanted, that Saul and David and Solomon. And at the death of Solomon, the kingdom actually divides into the, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel ends up in exile or captivity in 722 B.C. and Judah in the south in 586 B.C. And we'll be following that southern line mostly today, ends up in exile. And so God's people are ending up in exile. And I want to talk a little bit just about how they got there. If you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We'll be there for a short time. We'll move into Ezra. We're going to look at a couple of prophets. Lace up your shoes. We're getting ready to go. Second Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. He had pity on his people. He had pity on his dwelling place. The nation's in decline Let's see how they respond. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare the young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of of Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonians who, who conquered God's people, who conquered the southern kingdom. Now, if you like the name Zerubbabel, you might want to name your kid that, don't name him Nebuchadnezzar. They won't be able to spell it, first of all, until they're 15 years old. Second of all, he wasn't a good man. So pastoral pause here. They, how they respond to God's, people, how they respond to God's invitation, they, they stiff-armed it. They mocked God's people. We would never do that, would we? We wouldn't be so dumb that when God's reaching out to us and calling us to him, we wouldn't stiff-arm him or mock his people, would we? I sure hope not. In verse 18, he carried to, the Babylon, he carried to Babylon all the articles of the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. So, so Jerusalem's going down. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything there of value. Think about it, Jerusalem. The wall, the temple, gone. The temple's burned, the walls crumbled. They, are, they have a national identity problem. They have no place to worship, and they're being carried off into exile By the king of Babylon. And then next, this really odd verse comes. Verse 21. Look at this. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation, it rested. Until the 70 years were completed. In fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Now what does that mean? Well, here's what happened. When God's people entered their land back in Joshua that we just studied to the time of the exile is 490 years. Now, there's also a 490 years from the time of exile to the coming of the Messiah, which is really interesting, and we don't have time to look at today. But the 490 years from the time of God's people entering the promised land in Joshua to the exile is 490 years. Well, one of the things God's people were supposed to do was to every seventh year, they were supposed to experience a sabbatical year where they don't plant crops And they were supposed to let the land rest. Guess how many times they obeyed and did that? Zero. And so if you divide 490 by seven, so every seventh year, you know what your answer is? I'm not a math major. I was an accountant, so I need a calculator, but it's 70. 70. That's how they get the time of the exile. So God's going to get his Sabbath rest years. He's going to get obedience one way or the other. And it looks like they chose the hard way. Our first key leader for the return is a man named Daniel. You might be familiar with Daniel. Um, He's famous in the scriptures. He's an incredibly godly man and put in incredibly difficult circumstances. They're the ones you read in your Bible stories with your kids. But here is a really interesting one. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's here, and he's having his quiet time. Look at this. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, so there's a, there's a new king in town, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to the prophet Jeremiah, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel's sitting there having his devotional time, reading his, my utmost for his highest. No, he's reading the scriptures. He's reading the prophet Jeremiah, and he discovers what we already know, that the, that the exile is going to last 70 years. He's actually living in the exile. And so he discovers, okay, so it's, you know, he's starting to count, doing some old math. He's not doing the new math. you would never come to the answer, but he's doing the old math. He's counted up, and he's like, man, this thing's about to be over. And Daniel's a godly man. And let's look at what he was probably reading. It's probably Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah's a prophet during this exile time, or right before. And here's what he was probably reading. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Pause. So that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? And the next verse, I think you're going to recognize. You've probably written it on a chalkboard in your home or painted it on some barn wood and hung it in your home. But I want you to understand the context of this verse and who it's written to. It's written to the, those in exile and see how powerful it would be for them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Think about that. It means a lot to us. Think about how much it means to them. They're in exile. They have no way to worship. The temples, the temples burn down. The walls are, are destroyed. They're living as prisoners or, or in exile and captivity. And they read this. God's got plans for them. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your, your heart. So back to Daniel. Let's see how Daniel responds. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. Who sinned? Daniel and all the people. See, he's, he's, he's leading a, a, a repentance, a national repentance. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from the commands and the laws. You see, there's a principle Daniel knows, and he's exhibiting, and it's this. Repentance precedes restoration. Repentance precedes restoration. And so pastoral pause, I want to take a time out here. Do you think that's still true today? Yeah, and so if you've uh, picked up a bad habit in the pandemic, if you picked up a secret little sin or something's going on, the the, the formula's here. You can follow Daniel. The formula is you you confess the sin, you you repent of the sin, and that leads to restoration because I'll tell you this. If you feel distant from God, God hasn't moved and he's waiting to restore relationship with you. Repentance precedes or leads to restoration. The Apostle John believed it in his, his letter, his epistle. 1 John 1, 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, we continue our story, but we're going to move to the book of Ezra. If you're in your Bible, just go to the next book. Um, Now, if you type A personalities, you might say, okay, why is he skipping those last few verses, the last couple of verses of 2 Chronicles 36? I'm going to show you in just a second, and it's really cool. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, now, new king, the, the Medes and the Persians got together. They conquered the Babylonians. It's another worldwide empire. Cyrus is the most powerful man in the world. And so the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. And here's what it is. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem in Judah. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Now, what compels a pagan king to do this? He's not a believer. He's not a follower of God. What compels a pagan king to do this? And if you want some extra study, Proverbs 21, 1. And it simply says something like this. The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. See, God's in control. And he can guide anybody in any way. Not only does he use his people, he also uses people like Cyrus. But also there's a historian, extra biblical historian, who said that Cyrus actually looked at the prophet Isaiah's writing. And the prophet Isaiah, a century and a half beforehand, actually prophesies Cyrus by name being used by God. Can you imagine that? If somebody came to you and goes, hey, look at this. This guy 150 years ago wrote this about you. I would do it, wouldn't you? And here's what it says, Isaiah 44. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say to Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations laid. It's pretty powerful. Well, in addition to Daniel, our next key leader is Zerubbabel. We love his name. We love his leadership. Um, he was he led God's people back from the exile. With him. And as we look at Zerubbabel, you can kind of see this in the book of Ezra. The first six chapters are focused on the rebuilding of the temple. They're focused on Zerubbabel and this idea of national restoration. The, second, the last three chapters are really focused on spiritual reformation or the rebuilding of the people, and that's Ezra, which we'll look at in just a second. So our next key leader is Zerubbabel. Say that five times. Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. Then the family heads of the Judah and Benjamin... And the priests and the Levites and everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So they're, they're all traveling back to Jerusalem from exile. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, goods and livestock with valuables and gifts in addition to freewill offerings. It's kind of like the, remember the Exodus? You remember when they were just giving them stuff saying, get out of here. It's kind of like that. It's a second exodus. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed them in the temple of his God. So so Cyrus is saying, hey, take back all your valuables and put them in the temple of your God. It's an incredible time. Cyrus allowed the Jews to return. He allowed them to rebuild the temple and he gave them all the vessels for worship. Now here's the interesting thing. Historians believe there's about a million Uh, Hebrew people, a million Israelites at the time. Most of them were scattered out throughout this nation of Persia. They'd been carried into exile by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians, and now they were in exile because of the Persians. A million Israelis. You know how many came back to the Promised Land? 5%. See, supposedly all these people, they're living in exile, just wanting to get home, and then when it's time to go home, 50,000 go home. You see, they'd assimilated into the culture. They had forgot their mission. They had forgot their purpose. And I know we haven't been in exile. I know our thing is one year and it's not as hard. And It's not because of disobedience. but, But what if the people didn't come back after the pandemic? Or what if the people of God, they just stopped talking about God and stopped studying about God and stopped professing God? It'd be a really hard place to live. And as of chapter 3, look what we see. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, the people assembled together in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheutiel, And his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both morning and evening. This is such a monumental thing. Before they had even built the temple, they, they, they built the foundation and they built the altar and they began to sacrifice again. And this was huge for them because it's, it's what led their worship. You might ask the question, do we do that today? Well, no and yes. You see, we had the ultimate sacrifice in Christ, so we no longer have to do that. But what we do is we come to the table as often as we can and we remember. We've got communion available every Sunday in the prayer room. We take it often in here. And we remember Jesus' body broken as a sacrifice and his blood shed so that you and so that me, we can have eternal life. In chapter four, they face incredible opposition. There's a new king. His name's Artaxerxes, another great name for your repertoire. Uh, I don't know if he's a good guy. He wasn't a good guy. But they, had, they, were, they stopped the building of the temple for about 15 years. Now, they faced this op- uh, opposition, and, and, and Artaxerxes was listening to the local um, governors and stuff, and so he, he didn't let them build the temple anymore. He stopped it. They were, they were stopped in their tracks for 15 years. So what does God do? He sends his prophets. Ezra 5, verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, the God of Israel, who was over them. So God brings his prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And I want to read you one passage that Zechariah shares. Zechariah verse 1. Don't try to turn there, just listen to this. I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2, beginning verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Okay, time out. That's incredible. Do you think that's still true today? He's saying, he's saying return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. It sounds really simple, similar, doesn't it? James chapter 4 Draw near to God and I will draw near to you. And I just want to tell you if, you, if you feel far from God, we're going to give you some time. We're going to sing some songs in just a little bit. And I encourage you, sing if you want to, stand and sing, sit and pray. I'm going to give you a time of just confession and repentance while we sing. We want to make our way back to God if you've, if you've strayed. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Ezra chapter five. Then Zerubbabel son of Shutil and Joshua son of Josadak, set to the work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them supporting them. So the work continued. The work started again because Zechariah said, let's do this. So here's the slide. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes to his plans for his purposes. Hey, key leader number three. We've seen Daniel. We've seen Zerubbabel. Now we have Ezra. In chapter seven, Ezra arrives on the scene. He brings a a group back with him. It says, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon in the first day, the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem the first day, the fifth month, for the gracious hand of God was on him. I think that's really funny. It took him like, what, four months to get there, and he was excited about that. But I want you to look at verse 10, because you may be sitting here thinking, okay, you're saying that God uses his people to accomplish his plans for his purposes. How's he going to use me? What do I need to do to be that kind of person that's used by God? Look at the text. Verse 10, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to the teaching of his decrees and laws. Hey, our purpose here at Fellowship is the reason this church exists is to produce and release spiritual leaders, you and me. And we want you to minister in your area of giftedness and passion. And you might say, How do you do that? You study God's word and you preach God's word. I'm not a preacher. Man, we got small group leaders. we got all kinds of opportunities. We want to produce and release spiritual leaders who know the authentic Christ and can express the authentic Christ. And how you do that is you know God through his word and you gather with his people. And we want you to get back to doing that as soon as possible, as often as possible, as safe as possible. It's time to get shoulder to shoulder again. It's time to get face to face again. And I'll tell our online audience, we want you back here worshiping with us as soon as you can. Our our, our video feed's really designed for those people who can't be here because of some kind of uh, illness or something, and they're shut in, or they're geographically can't come. We want to be shoulder to shoulder and face to face again. God uses his people to accomplish his purpose for his plan. That's big idea number one. Ask you the question How's he going to use you? Second thing, repentance leads to restoration. Do you have some business you need to do with God? Daniel and Ezra, they've shown us that we need to do that. In the book of Nehemiah, uh, the leader Nehemiah emerges. Ezra is still involved. They're kind of like uh, partners in ministry. Uh, Nehemiah is more of a national leader. Ezra is more of a spiritual leader. But they're they're partners in ministry, and, and Nehemiah does this incredible job of rebuilding the wall in a miraculous amount of time. It's a great lesson in leadership if you haven't studied him. He's probably the most recognizable of all these people, but I encourage you to read about Nehemiah. We don't have time to go there today, but they're contemporaries. Nehemiah rebuilds the, the, the wall. He restores national pride and hope. Ezra rebuilds the people, um, spiritual reformation of the people. In Ezra chapter 8, I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra reads and teaches the word to the people for hours. They literally sit for hours from morning to noon just hearing the word because they've spent this time of repentance. And in chapter 9, they respond with worship and repentance. And that's what we're going to give you the opportunity to do. We want to give you the opportunity in just a few minutes. We're going to sing some songs. You can stand up and worship. You can sit and confess. You can spend some time alone with God. We want you to connect with God. Hey, as you navigate this road back to a more normal life, what impact would you say the pandemic has had on your spiritual life? Is there anything you need to deal with? Is there an area of your life that needs to be confessed to, to God and processed through with him? We would love to help. We've got the counseling center. We've got lots of staff and volunteers. We've got the prayer room available to you. We've got Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights are available to you. We want to be a people who walk with God in a healthy way. Are there any roadblocks for you to connect? And I want to challenge you. We all need a P-P-S-E-P. How's that? That's a lot of letters, isn't it? Well, everybody else has an acronym or a crossing so I thought I needed one too. So a PPSEP, or if you can't get that all in, just say SEP. Everybody needs a spiritual engagement plan. I see everybody thinking through, man, where are we going to go on vacation this summer? Hey, what are you going to do with God this summer? We all need a spiritual engagement plan. What's yours going to be? And I want you to do, think about three things. What are you going to start? What are you going to stop? And what are you going to return to? Start reading the word of God again or, or practicing those spiritual practices like prayer and being together. Stop if there's a sin or a bad habit that's crept up. Uh, get somebody and process it with and deal with it and then return to return to that gathering as normal. Shoulder to shoulder in worship, face to face in small group. Hey, I've got one of our elders that's gonna come up here and he's gonna kind of just share with us what they've been through and uh, and and what he suggests that we should do for our spiritual engagement plan. So, Ed, come on up here. Ed's a dear friend of mine. We've been in community group over the years together. matter of fact, one of my favorite things with Ed, he always just, it's like, it's like he just dispenses wisdom whenever I'm with you. And we, we were in community group one time, and I remember sitting in his house. Our community group had broken up to pray, and Ed and I were together, and we just, we spent time praying about one of my kids. It was the sweetest time. And so I just wanted him to come up here and process with us. And so, Ed, what would you say um, was impactful for you and Guanica during the pandemic?
5: Oh, thank you, John. Good morning, Fellowship. Good morning. You, you know, John, you talked about uh, babies and, and babies' names. You know, during this pandemic, we did have, I did have my third grandchild. Yeah.
4: Yes. Uh,
5: but I did not name him Zerubbabel. Did not. <laughs> yeah. But the other th- on the other side of that, oh, and also you talked about weddings. And my middle son got married, so he brought a beautiful, a beautiful daughter-in-law to our family. Nice. All right.
4: Yeah, uh, that's awesome, too.
5: But also through this period of time, uh, John, uh, we went through some of the same things that you've already mentioned. We talked about concern about the safety of your family, also about isolation and, and being isolated from our community group, from our church. I was particularly, particularly was concerned about isolation from my 88-year-old mother. So what did I do about that? So every night, every night, I called her on the phone. I just wanted to make sure that she knew that she was not alone living by herself. And then we would often pray over the phone before we would hang up on the call. Or we would often read scripture together before she would hang up on the call. Or sometimes we would just sit there and talk. And so, so John, that's some of the things that we did as we went through.
4: That's good. Through the- um, so as you look into culture, you and I talked about it at lunch just recently, what are some of the roadblocks you see people running into as they try to re-engage life as normal or try to re-engage spiritual life as normal? What are, what are some of the roadblocks that people are running into?
5: Well, one, one in particular, John, that, 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 that I see is that through this period of time, over, over a year now, um. We've learned to stay at home. That's what COVID taught us: stay at home. But during that period of time, we've learned to become disconnected to the Word of God. Disconnected to the Word of God. Think about that: disconnected to the Word of God. We've not attended church. We've not attended uh, our community groups. We maybe have skipped a little bit on our prayer for a time and also our reading the word of God. Therefore, we become indifferent to the spiritual things of God and become disconnected during this time and during this period. And you mentioned our, our community group leaders. Fellowship, that's our responsibility, to reach out to those individuals that we know of that are missing out on God's word.
4: That's good. Hey, speak real quick to the political divisiveness that you and I talked about, the racial tension, the, the kind of the online culture. What would be your words of wisdom as one of our elders? And, and I, I would say elder statesman. I see some gray hair there, yeah. Grandpa. So what would you say? How would you speak to that?
5: Well, I, I, I call that, uh, John, uh, being distracted by worldly events. Being distracted by worldly events. You know, we have um, uh, through this time period, social media has been a bit intervention in, into our lives, and and we see every day racial tension, political strife, social justice causes, so civil unrest, and one of the things that has happened is that we have now picked and we've chosen sides. One thing that we did not do, pick God's way because he has a better plan and a better way. Built on the foundation of peace and joy and love. What about this simple formula when we think about those things? Loving God, Loving others as we love ourselves. That's the way that Christ handled it in Matthew 22.
4: That's really good. Hey, so one last question. How are you and Guanica handling kind of your, your, your post-pandemic spiritual engagement? How are you all going forward um, now that the pandemic seems to be hopefully
5: subsiding? Well, John, we, we have what we call an intentional plan. Every morning... That we um, get prepared and get ready for our day, we flip on the music of worship music. Most of it we've downloaded from 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 what we sing here at Fellowship. And then we, after the music is played, and we we grab our Bibles and we read Scripture together out loud. I just think it's important for husbands and wives to 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 worship together. And we do that every morning and after the, the the music and after the scripture. We stop to pray together before we walk out of our house. The second thing that we intentionally done to make sure that we, we re-engage with our community group. This year we had the the, the, the fortune of having wed couples as part of our community
4: group. That, that's why I couldn't be in it, huh? That's absolutely I'm getting right. older,
5: too. Yeah, that's right. We we're having too much fun. <laughs> and, and And immediately after we started a couple of sessions, then the pandemic hit and we had to stop. But we didn't stop having the meetings. We just stopped meeting together in person. And continue our meetings. And now we're getting those phone calls, those text messages. When can we start meeting face to face again? And I just enjoy that that uh, that uh, that time with them.
4: That's awesome. We well, tell him thank you for your leadership, Ed. We appreciate you. <laughs> Through the return from exile, we learned that God will use His people to accomplish His purposes. And I want to ask you this question. Are you available to be used by God? We've learned that confession and repentance precede restoration. So if there's, if there's something going on, if there's a, a bad habit, a sin you've picked up, just take some time to confess it during this time of worship. As soon as it's safe for you to come back, we want you to come back. We want to we worship together shoulder to shoulder. We want to meet together in small group, face to face. And we want to do it as often as possible. As soon as possible, as safe as possible. What's your return going to look like, or what does it need to look like, and how can your church help? We want to help. Here's the timeless principle given by Zechariah Return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. Or said in the New Testament by James, Draw near to God, and I will draw near to you. Let's worship.
2: it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm I'm sorry. sorry
3: So Lord, would that be the song of our hearts and of our mouths as we leave this place this morning. Spirit, thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, would you be our guide as we leave this place. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. And fellowship, if you have any more questions, just refer to the screen behind me and there should be able to answer them for you. And if you need prayer this morning, we have the Thomason's in the prayer room. We'll see you next week. Go in peace, fellowship.